Welcome to the Scale Without Burnout podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Silito. This podcast is a result of my purpose to help ambitious business owners like you avoid stress, overwhelm, and burnout in the workplace. In this podcast, I share everything I've learned about how to grow a profitable business, stay fit and healthy, maintain strong relationships, and develop the right mindset for success. So you can thrive, feel inspired, and work at your full potential. Nick Bradley, my friend, welcome to the show. Andrew, it's an absolute pleasure, mate. Great to be here. How are you? I know. It's, uh, I've been trying to track you down and get you on this for a, over a year now. Oh, but now mate. The clubhouse bringing us closer together and you know, hearing you speak over the last two months, I was like, we've got to get this guy on. This guy's got so much he can share to help our audience and the people listening to this, watching this, scale their business, which is what we're all about. And I think there's no better time right now over the next three, five, 10 years to be thinking about how to scale the business. So very excited to have you on the show. Yeah, well, listen, I'm sorry it's taken so long. And you know what? I've been following your stuff as well, because a lot of the stuff I talk about is mindset. I talk about how you look after yourself, and I've been following the uh, the great things you've been putting out. So it's great to finally connect in uh, a vehicle like this. And uh, yeah, happy to help today. Absolutely. So just for our listeners that are tuning in, we're going to be focusing on how to build, scale, and sell an eight-figure business. That is our focus today. And I know, Nick, you have done that multiple times and even nine-figure businesses. So really keen to hear from you tactically. We're going to get tactical today, but I'd like to hear about your story as well, because one of the things, as you know, is how do we scale a business? How do we grow it? How do we focus on the next three years without being all in on the business, hyper-focused, and then finding out in three years' time that we're spending more money on medical bills, uh, (laughs) divorce payments, you know? Yeah. Toxic relationships with our kids. You know, how do we do that without kind of messing that up? And I think that's really important. And I've got a couple of questions at the end from our audience who would like to understand that better. So I'm going to share those with you as well. But obviously, we've got a load of questions. I think just before we get into it, I'd like to just share more about you and what you're about so the audience understand your background. So you're a world renowned business growth expert. You've been working with entrepreneurs, business leaders, investors building high-performance companies, high-value companies. Over the last decade, Nick has built, bought, and sold 24 businesses with a combined valuation of $5.2 billion. This is clearly not Nick's first rodeo when he, when he talks about scaling businesses. He also works with private equity and venture capital firms across the UK, US, leading business turnarounds, mergers, acquisitions, and scale-ups. So I can't think of anyone better right now to help us think about how we scale our businesses, particularly if you're you're looking to do that over the next three years, coming out of COVID, which is where we're at right now, having a 10-year plan. Maybe you're looking to sell your business in five to 10 years. Nick is an expert and he's going to share huge amounts of gold with us today. He's been there, done it. So welcome, Nick. Nick, let's get back into your story because I I know you you, you love your ultra running. Yes, I do. uh, So can you hear about that? (laughs) But also your experience managing your health, because you've been all in on your businesses as well. You've been a consultant. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and how you manage your health or where you felt the challenge of not necessarily burnout, but you know, overwhelm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Happy to get into that. And as I said, it's a pleasure to be here. And I can cover all those things. I think the first thing I'll kick off and say is that even though I've been involved in it's actually over 100 acquisitions, 117 to be precise, and 24 exits. And a lot of that was when I worked in private equity for well over a decade. I wasn't through that journey. 
particularly great with managing everything with some level of equilibrium. Now, I don't believe fully in balance. I think there's points in time where you have to dig into certain things, right? And they become a priority. But in terms of my story, I was involved in a lot of high pressure deals, acquisitions to exit, as we said beforehand. There's a lot of pressure put on people in those environments because everything ends up being focused around the financials. Well, certainly when I was involved in it, and I sometimes draw the story back to like, you know, Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, or more recently, there's Bobby Axelrod in Billions, you know, hedge funds and doing deals. And, you know, it's a really addictive place to be for a while, not just because the money is great, but also just because it's such a focused thing that you're there to do, right? There's no ambiguity. You are there to make money for shareholders, for yourself, for whatever entities are involved. But because of that, I had my own burnout. It's funny, it started a few years before it actually happened. I started to just not be feeling as good about things and I started to do stuff on the extreme. So the ultra running and a lot of that, the pinnacle of the ultra running, the 100 mile races and all of that was when I was feeling the most pressure, I think, when I was involved in these big deals. And that there was manifesting with how I was showing up at home, how I was you know, not being, as I said, present with my, my two daughters and my wife as I should be. And then I started to just get some physical signs. And it culminated one evening a few years back now where I went to bed and I woke up, it was about three in the morning and I literally had this pain here, right side of my jaw, just here like I've been smashed. And what had happened is in the night, I'd actually clenched my, my jaw and I cracked two teeth just back here. I literally cracked them. And I thought, what's going on? I had no idea, right? So I didn't go back to sleep, obviously, ended up going to the doctor in the morning. Then I ended up at the dentist and they said, yeah, you've clenched down and done this. And a lot of other things were happening in my life at the same time, which as I said, culminated in this issue. And it was at that point in time, I decided I need to change everything. I need to change the private equity environment. I'm still involved in scale up. I'm still involved in all that stuff in, in different ways under my own terms now. But that was a really important lesson for me. I call it a gift now because had I have not gone through that, maybe I would have stayed in that environment. That would have ended up in all sorts of other things going on. But it really gave me the clarity to make different choices and different decisions, which is what I'm all about now. It's interesting you say the, the face, because I use the picture, the punch in the face, because burnout's yeah. the, the punch in the face you don't see coming. But there's something there about the unconscious mind and that that was happening at an unconscious level in your sleep. And I think that's a message for anybody that it's kind of a level of awareness, isn't it? That this thing is running and consciously we're just all in on the business. We'll go, go, go. You know, the left brain is selling us task, task, task. Let's go for it. But an emotional level or a subconscious level is something running. And it's how do we notice that? You know, how do we take a step back to say something's not right? And were there some signs before the clenching in the jaw and the breaking the teeth? Were there anything before that you go back to and you think, wish I'd noticed that? I wish I'd done something at that point. Well, I'll give you two other things that happened. And this was the epiphany, if you want to call it that. Firstly, to your question, I I was getting stomach pain and I was getting we'll put it this way, pain in my body that couldn't be diagnosed (laughs) by traditional means. So I was going to the doctor with these things and like they're saying, well, there's nothing wrong with you. And I was thinking, you know, I've got liver problems or kidney problems, all this sort of stuff. But the other thing that happened over that time is my father who left our family when I was two years of age, came back into my life. And I found out because I hadn't had any real exposure to him or whatever else. I found out he was a very successful entrepreneur. And he came back into my life and then passed away very quickly um, with cancer, a very aggressive form of oh, cancer. Sorry to hear that. At the time, it was challenging, but at the same time, it was amazing. It was an amazing gift. You know how these, you say people come into your life 
you know, for certain reasons, reasons, seasons, all this sort of stuff. He came back into my life and taught me some really powerful things about me that I'd probably been repressing. So what I'd been repressing more than anything else was actually, I've always been more entrepreneurial. And when I went into the world of corporate and private equity, a lot of what I was repressing behind was that feeling. So that's where I think, you know, I look back now and I understand in hindsight that I was just channeling lots of different emotions and I didn't really have an outlet other than the running for getting those things out. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned epiphany. So you'd had an epiphany. Was the epiphany of what happened or what you needed to change? The awareness of change, Andrew. I'm much more attuned now to things like mindset than I was beforehand, things like emotional state. So when I was in private equity, I probably had a resilience and a grit that had come from previous things, but I didn't really understand how to channel any of that stuff, right? And so the epiphany was an awareness that I'd probably been following a path, well, I know now, I was following a path that wasn't the path that was the best choice for me. And I didn't know what to do about it when that happened. (laughs) I discovered later what I needed to do. But at that point in time, I had the realization. So when I say epiphany, it was like clarity that I needed to make a change. The decision to make the change was very easy. The activation of that was a little bit more tricky, but I knew very clearly that I had to make that change. There's an irony here, isn't there? And I, I hear this a lot with business leaders who have perhaps experienced, it might not be burnout, but just casualties of scaling a business without being aware of the other things in their life, whether it is the relationships broke down or it's their health or just making some bad decisions because they're just going at it and not taking that step back. But they have the epiphany. Then they have a level of transformation, which they would never have had unless these things are broken yes. down. I mean, we yeah. always look back on that. And then you say, well, would you have done anything different? They say, well, of course, I would have gone, I would have done it differently. I would like to have had a different experience, but I wouldn't be the person I am today without that burnout or without that shift in my life. So it's like sometimes I imagine it a little bit like the chrysalis. You can't interfere with the chrysalis to let the butterfly get out. Otherwise, it doesn't have the strength and the power to fly away. And that's why I use the term gift. And it's funny, there are other similar almost transitions. If I go back even further, there are similar transitions that have happened where there has been an immense amount of anguish, pain, or whatever you want to call it, but there's been an emotional drop And from that emotional drop, there's been a significant upside. Right. And if I look back, I think, ah, this is now how it works. (laughs) And that's for me. I mean, I can't, I can't talk about anybody else, but now I think, ah, wow. Okay. This makes a lot of sense. And at each of those points, I've had to grow myself to be able to then either make that transition, but also then to take the next step into whatever I'm, I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good, good. Right. Well, we'll start getting tactical then in a minute, because I think people are tuning in and they're going to want to know, okay, I want to avoid burnout. I want to do this. But also, I think we do it from a well-being perspective. And obviously, I talk about the four keys and just being aware of the four keys. But also, there's there's a commercial element to growing a business. It's not just about how do we do it without burning out. We've got to make sure that we do it in the right way at a commercial level. And I really like to tap into you around that. I'm just going to acknowledge a few people that have tuned in. Peter Brown saying, I can't wait to hear how to do it. Kaboom. Uh, JP Dalman, I'm sure you know and see yep. on Clubhouse. I have, yes. Nice one. Michelle's tuning in from Spain. Hi, Michelle Stevens. Caroline Blundell-Wilson, thanks so much for sharing. Physical awareness is key. Absolutely agree. Check in daily and to notice what's going on with us. This is where mindfulness supports. Absolutely, Caroline. Couldn't agree more. So someone else, it says LinkedIn user, but I'm going to assume that's Krishna, my, my main man. Being aware of the need to change, transform at a physical, mental, emotional levels is a good start. 
The challenge is to do it consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. And then, uh, this last one, uh, what a start, David's saying. So let's get into it. Come on, let's go and... Uh, okay, let's do it. Guys. That's some fun. Let's talk about business scale. Yeah, yeah, good. So <laughs> tell us, tell us what is the real difference between a startup yeah. and a scale-up? Because we've got, I think there are people out there right now perhaps been running a business for a while, got through COVID and have got back into a startup mentality. It's like they've cleaned the cat, you know, like I know that's where I'm at. You know, I've had a business, a consultancy business since 2012. The business I have now compared to the business I had 12 months ago is an entirely different business. You know, it's changed. So tell us, what, what do you see as the difference between a startup and a scale up? Yeah. Okay. Let's get right into it. So I'll talk about that and also talk about the difference between growth and scale, because I think both need to be understood if you're going to do this effectively. And right. the first thing I'll say is that there's nothing wrong with having to rebase, right? So the idea that, you know, they call it the entrepreneurial journey is this kind of linear thing. When people ask me about that, I get a piece of paper out and I scribble right? this kind of messy line. I say, that's really the entrepreneurial journey. And sometimes you're going back to go forward and all these things. But startup, if you think about the phase of startup, it's normally a very exciting time. And it's normally one where you feel very creative as the entrepreneur. You're also um, usually quite externally focused. And what I mean by that is you are clear on who you're trying to help. You know, you're certainly becoming clearer on that sometimes called the niche, right? But then at the same time, you are also very attuned and aware of the problem that they have and the solution that you, you have that can solve that problem. So everything is quite crisp. Everything is quite creative. It can still be quite chaotic because you're running around the place thinking, I've got this idea, but I'm not quite sure what to do. But everything is quite manageable. Because if you think about in that startup phase, it's usually defined, if you go into the textbook definition, it's usually when you've got less than, say, 10 to 12 people. Sometimes it's just you and maybe a co-founder or a small team. But everything can be run quite easily. You haven't got layers and layers of complexity. If you, again, contrast that with a large corporate with like, you know, 50,000 people, you can see the difference between like that level of kind of things going on. So scale up by again definition is when you have to start to bring in your first what we call levels of management. So you're starting to build teams out. Now that doesn't necessarily mean employees. It can be associates, it can be freelancers, it can be other suppliers, but you're just adding complexity to your business because you need to. Now you physically as the entrepreneur, the founder can't do everything yourself. So it's technically defined as the ability to build teams, to lead teams and also start to bring in structure and process into your business, probably for the first time. So the reason that a lot of founders struggle with the transition from startup to scale-up is because it does take quite a different skill set and mindset to make the transition. And I often say, you've got to evolve. So your, your leadership persona, your identity needs to evolve to be able to make that transition successfully. And there are a lot of examples out there where really creative entrepreneurs have not been able to move into that scale-up leader persona. And that's when they start to bring in other people to be able to do that for them. That's one of the best ways of thinking about this transition in this stage. Yeah, that makes absolute sense, even from my own experience. You know, being a solopreneur, being the brand, you know, sharing my IP, you know, having a real purpose to it. And I think the the mindset part is letting go. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I've got a, a brilliant team now of mentors that are delivering the four keys program and supporting that and uh, our team head coach program you know we've got Mike Watman who's just the best coach ever so I'm very lucky to have him and but it's still that element of handing over the baby right that I've worked on for years and so there's that part which then taps into the skill set I think you mentioned which is the leadership and I think particularly I see it in the tech industry where 
very technical experts, and then they move into a leadership role where they have to lead a team, and then it becomes a different skill set entirely. Yeah, a lot of visionary entrepreneurs really struggle with management. They're too impatient, or they like to have things to a certain standard. And remember, you know, imagine we're talking about the pathway into maybe having tens of employees, like you might have like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50. Imagine what that looks like when you've got, as I said, the 30 or 50,000 employees. But you've got to have standards and you've got to have certain things like values and behaviors within a business, but you can't manage everyone in the same way. So that's why a lot of those, as I said, those early stage creative entrepreneurs really struggle with that, as you said, letting go of control. Yeah, letting go. I think if there was a, a book on entrepreneurialism and it just had, you know, three words in it, it would be let it go. So you touched on processes and I always think there's a bit of a left brain, right brain playoff. I know that's a bit of pop neuroscience there, but kind of the left side of the brain is saying we need processes, structure, et cetera, systems to scale. I think is what I'm hearing. Yeah. The other side is the more emotive, the engagement, the engagement with clients, understanding your purpose, et cetera. What do you see? Because this is an interesting one where people have perhaps a more naturally wired towards creativity, leadership, building stuff, shiny new objects, you know, getting excited. And those that are more process driven and understand systems and the benefits. If you had to choose one at the beginning of scaling up, which preference do you think would have an advantage? Well, you can't choose one. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So, you know, it's a loaded question, Andrew. I've got a question afterwards, I guess, which is if you're not that person that's process driven, you you think about getting an ops person, but I guess... You have to do what you just said. Here's the biggest conundrum. So you mentioned beforehand, there might be people listening to this who've got a business that has, let's call it plateaued. So the, the people that come into my world are usually one of two instances. They've got a good business that has grown for a while and then it's stopped and they've got no idea why. Or they've got a business that is growing, but it's not growing fast enough to their level of ambition. And both of those are quite interesting, but the set of solutions for those two problems is the same. So to get a business off the ground, technically, you know, if I go by all the businesses I've acquired and been involved in all that, having someone who is that visionary, more creative, somewhat mad, (laughs) right? You know, I'm going to do this no matter what, huge degrees of self-belief and vision. Put it out there. Everything, right? But you need that. It's almost that escape velocity, right? You know, what do they say? It takes more, you know, I forget the exact figures, but to get a rocket off the Earth's atmosphere takes so much more energy than when it goes through the atmosphere and then it kind of cruises, right? So you need that visionary to get a business going, right? So someone who's very process oriented and very structured normally doesn't sit at that 30,000 foot view very easily. Now, I say that because you can have people who do both. It does exist. But you've got to be very, very self-aware. So that's the first piece. You've got to have that. But very quickly, if you want to create something that's huge, we're talking about eight-figure exits and stuff like that, then you need to bring in someone who's going to run all of those processes, all of those structures for you. Now, the mistake people make is it's not just an ops manager. So I'm going to jump in on that. The ops manager might be able to put the systems and processes in place. But the other thing I like to say is get someone who's a fantastic manager of people. Right. And that's the bit that's, that usually gets misconstrued because being able to do great diagrams of process is one thing, but being able to get people to then feel inspired to drive and deliver against those frameworks is a very different thing. So when you're finding your ops manager or sometimes called integrator to use some of Gino Wickman's work from the book Traction, you are looking for someone who is effectively going to run your business so that as the visionary, you can step out, you can go and build relationships, do larger partnerships, you can represent the brand, whatever it is that you have that superpower in, and then the person who's going to be there underneath that is going to make the machine work to a high level of precision. Right. That makes absolute sense. 
what I'm hearing from that is we can get a little bit too lost in the systems and the process and someone that can really organize stuff. But unless we can align, unless that person can win the hearts and minds to implement it and understand it, then it could feel sure it could feel too robotic in some ways. Correct. And it's hard to find these people. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've been doing it for years and I still have challenges to find the right individual. People say, oh, visionaries are rare. I actually think the integrator or that ops leader is actually yeah. quite hard to find. And when you get someone like that, you want to hold on to them because they will literally change your world. Yeah. Well, that's certainly been my experience. And I know he's probably watching this. So I'm very lucky that I, I think <laughs> I have that guy who is, he's amazing. Krishna is be watching this. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> just incredible. Obviously, Nick, incredible. Nick. See, yeah. listen, listen to Nick. He's, he's yeah, saying exactly. exactly what I've been telling you. And it is a game changer. It really is. Something people often ask as they start to build this business. And now I know there's a mindset thing. We can go deep into mindset of building seven figure businesses or eight figure businesses is for other people, you know, but actually when you get the systems in place and you've got a good product, you're solving a problem, you can get there. You yeah. can actually get there, not necessarily quickly, but some people do. But one of the questions that comes up, which is if I was to get there and I was to look to sell this business, like have some kind of exit plan, which I would say the majority of people I work with are working towards some kind of exit strategy. You know, they're perhaps late 30s, mid 40s, and they kind of, right, how do I do that? So one of the things they're going to ask is, how do I create something of value? How will I know it's a value and someone's going to come along and want to buy it? So can we just explore that and then look at some of the things that we need to be thinking about today to get to that point of value? So let's start with what really defines value for an eight-figure business. I'm a big believer in starting with that end goal. Some people disagree with me on this as well, Andrew. So they say, oh yeah, you can't think about the exit of your business. You've got to just focus on building a fantastic business. And that is true. Both of them are true, but you have to have an exit because it's a little bit like vision. If you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up somewhere which may not be where you want to be. So if you have the intent right now, even if it's early stage and you're thinking, you know what, I want to sell this business. So I want to create what is called a liquidity event or a capital event. So where I can sell the business, make you know a few million or more of personal wealth, Set that intention now. Also go a little bit deeper, which is what are my options? So if I'm going to sell the business, who can I sell it to? And there's only a few different options of how you can sell a business. You can sell it to an individual, like I buy businesses quite regularly, a few times a year. Then you could sell it to a a larger corporate who's trying to bolster out a division or something like that. Or you can sell into private equity, which is where I spent the majority of my career. And so have a think about the different, you know, do a little bit of research on that, do a bit of Googling and understand what works. It's not uncommon if you build a really great business that you get sold to a a competitor or a supplier. And I know people who actually, when they start businesses, have that sequence, if you like, or that journey already imprinted. So the first part is be clear on that. And then to your point around what makes a valuable business, I talk a lot about a term called growth precision. So people talk about growth and I say, well, growth is great, but growth is not predictable. You might have had a really great, and we talked about this actually, you had some fantastic growth. You know, COVID comes along or something like that. Things change. The same story for a lot of people. Well, why don't you build the machine in advance, thinking about all the different permutations that can happen so that you have predictable growth regardless of what happens. Now, COVID aside, that's a big transformation or transition, but there are ways of building a business. So so for me, there are five things that people, I want to get super practical here. There are five things that people need to consider if they want to build a business which is super valuable, which could be sold to one of those exits that has this concept of growth precision. So the first thing is it comes back to what I call a a really clear strategic purpose or a externally focused purpose. 
So don't ever lose sight of the fact that like when you started the business, it was about being really clear on that problem that you were solving for someone. And the reason I bring that up is you'd be surprised how many founders lose their way on the journey and they actually go from being externally focused to being intrinsic. And then all of a sudden the market changes and the business that they created is no longer relevant. Can you give an example of extrinsic and intrinsic? Yeah. So if I'm extrinsically focused, I'm always looking at what my customer needs. I'm talking to my customers. I might be even having you know a regular thing in my diary every week where I'm actually asking questions. It's almost like getting external feedback. The classic example of this is the whole blockbuster Netflix thing. After a while, if you just look at spreadsheets and you don't look at what's happening outside, again, that sort of 30,000 foot view, you're going to miss what's happening. It doesn't matter about something like that. You know, Big businesses like Blockbuster and Netflix, you can do that even in a small business that's maybe currently six figures that wants to go to seven or eight. Always be agile and externally focused. So that's the first piece. The second piece, which is really important, is the proposition. So this is kind of, do you have a really remarkable, outstanding solution? And that can come back to your core methodology. If you're like a service business, if you're a technology business, it can be the IP. But how good is it compared to everything else that's out there? So that's where you, again, have to look outside. But this time you're contrasting that against every other choice that your ideal customer could go to, you know, all your competitors, et cetera. And when I used to work years ago at Boston Consulting Group, we used to talk about those two things. It was called the killer equation, you know, really clear niche who you serve and in a fantastic value proposition. So that piece is there. Then you've got the classics, which are people and process. They're the sort of the three and the four. So outstanding people that are on the journey with you, they understand the purpose, they understand the vision. And that's where you start to think a little bit of things like your organizational structure, right people, right seats. Values comes into this as being critically important here, because again, if you're going to build the business out and you're going to scale it, you can't be everywhere all the time. So it's what people do when you're not around that makes the difference. And then in terms of process, you have most businesses have some basic processes they just need to have. So things around client attraction, how you convert, how you fulfill, basic economics, the financial measures and things like that. So your processes don't have to be this huge structural thing, which are complex. You just need to know the core processes, the sequence between them and the alignment. And then the last thing that really valuable businesses have is this real bias for metrics and data. I think it's a real excuse that if you're one of these people, I don't like metrics, I don't like data. Well, find someone who does in your business, right? Because if you haven't got that, you are never going to be free. And most people come into my world, they want freedom, they want to accumulate wealth, they want some level of impact, right? They're the three main things. Got to work with a high level of precision around data. So those five characteristics are the things that people need to lean into and they need to evaluate their business against. And if they start to build those out, that's when they're going to start to build a high value company. Great, great. So can we summarize those, please? It's purpose, proposition, people, process, and performance. Okay, five characteristics of what I call I call it the predictable growth framework when I teach it, but it sits under the concept of what I call growth precision. So anyone listening to this, you should be aiming for growth precision, not just growth. The difference is you're going to have more predictable, sustainable growth, which leads to a high value business, which is going to maximize the exit value of that business at whatever point in time you choose to do that. Right. Okay. That makes absolute sense. That's absolute gold for anybody that's listening in to this to think about how you create value, because I think sometimes we get so focused on the EBIT and how do we do that? And that becomes like the vision, if you like. Well, that's the byproduct. The byproduct is recurring revenue or recurring profit, right? So just to be super clear, you're going to sell the business based on how profitable you are or how much recurring revenue you generate. They tend to be the two valuation metrics. 
But in order to get to that, you have to go back to what I was saying. Growth precision is what you look at to achieve those things. Right. Makes absolute sense. That's awesome. So one thing you talk about a lot, I've heard you speak about this, is building a business empire. What do you mean by that? What does a business empire mean to you? Yeah, I, I get quite emotive about this because like, because, you know, empire, I use the term because I think it's expansive thinking. And sometimes people just think too small. They play small. I started to use this term a little bit more interchangeably recently, particularly in my podcast and social media, because I think we're seeing a really interesting transition in the world where bigger businesses, business empires, you know, they have more power than, than economies, geographies, governments. Businesses like Amazon that have higher valuations and ability to make change and impact in the world than some of the smaller, as I said, you know, countries. And so when I talk about empire, I say, listen, I, I talk about empire as a force for good. So if you have the ambition to build something that can make change, so this is beyond wealth. Getting to seven or eight figures is not easy, but it's absolutely doable for a lot of people. If you go out there and get help, you focus, you set the intention, all the stuff that you and I would agree on. To go out there and make bigger change is a totally different game. It's a step up. And so for me, I, I want to be able to, you ask about sort of legacy and stuff, I would be able to help people who have that ambition build bigger business empires because I think that then they'll have the ability to make a bigger difference on the world, which I think we desperately need right now. So that's why I talk about it. But what actually is an empire? Well, you know, it can be defined as having multiple businesses, you know, a portfolio. They don't always have to work together, but you have, you are making change through multiple business interests. It could be just having something that is huge, you know, geographically, as I said before, impact-wise. The ability to do more and be more comes from that creation. And I'll finish by saying this. I also believe that the people who are brave enough to step into that, you know, I made the point beforehand about identity change through the stages of entrepreneurship. If you're going from startup to scale up to performance business to empire, imagine how you have to evolve and change the person you are to be able to take that journey. They're the people who can really make the biggest difference. Yeah. Can we just double click on that then a little bit with the change? Because particularly, you know, from a leadership perspective, there's a couple of things that go on for me that I think I'd like to just explore with you, which is the expert who does very well, gets a business to around 20, 30 people, heads in the business, has an ambition maybe to stay as a small to medium sized business, maybe get to like 250 or something like that. What you're saying there is that the shift in mindset and the leadership mindset is really the difference between someone being able to scale that business or not. And they're going to have to become a different version of themselves to do that. Say if they've got a three-year plan, they're going to become a very different type of leader. Yes, exactly. And I'd like to just explore the qualities in a minute. But what I've also noticed is how important it is for that, just call them the business owner, the founder, to develop leaders within the business. because often they find themselves in a situation where they are managing across like 30 people. So and I speak to some people and they're saying, yeah, I'm having 30 meetings a month. I'm like, that's just not sustainable. You know, we've got to start letting go of some of this stuff and start building a leadership team within the business as well, which is again, a, a different type of leadership. Can we just explore then what you see as some of the key traits or shifts in leaders who recognize that? And start making those changes. What, what are those changes that you see? If there are three or four that you say, these are the three or four things you need to be fundamentally better at or different when it comes to leading a bigger business. Yeah, okay. I'll start off by saying my core belief on this is that everything starts with personal leadership. So it's a really clear understanding of who you are, that level of, let's call it self-awareness. And 
it comes back to kind of maybe the difference between a fixed or a growth mindset. You know, that idea that you have the ability to do anything that you want. You may not know how to do it right now, but you have the resources and the resourcefulness to go and find that, be that by getting close to other people, by your own learning, your own growth. So it starts with that. Some entrepreneurs who are great at startup, who don't make the transition even into scale up, can't get past that first hurdle. It's a huge block. And they have to do a lot of deep inner work to be able to do that. So the first characteristic is that sort of self-awareness and the and that sort of growth mindset thinking. You have to get over that before you do anything of significant scale. And then back to leadership qualities, we talked a little bit about the ability to go from 30,000 feet down to the granular. And I learned this from Jay Abraham, actually, because he's very good at this. And he talks about this kind of what we call dimensional thinking or dimensional leadership. The people who are really creating seismic change can do that Effort, like effortlessly, let's get that word off. Um, they go up and down from that sort of expansive to granular in a way that's just incredible. And whether that's innate or you can learn that and develop it, I think you can learn anything in life. So, but I think it's you, you need to be able to understand what both of those different dimensions is. But if you think about what that means, it means that they can look out there into the world and see changes that are happening and then they can think of problems, but then they can go right down and say, okay, why, why did we miss the sales quarter? You know, it doesn't mean they're managing the business, but they have the ability to see all those things. And then the last characteristic I think is really important. You touched on this is you've got to be able to trust, you know, even if that trust is broken, you've got to be able to trust the mechanism, the machine, the people that you put in place to allow that to happen. And that means incredible amounts of ability to step away. And one of the things when I work with businesses that are in this stage, I often do this as a thing. I say, listen, we're going to build this up. So you're going to leave. Firstly, you're going to go away for a month. Okay. This is to the, to the lead of the founder. You're going to go away for a month and you should see how many times people go, what do you mean (laughs) about this? Well, we have to break the machine. Ventilating. We've got to break the machine, right? And I say it like that. So we're going to break the machine. We're testing the machine, but I say break just to make the word even stronger. Yeah. More impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I get people to go away for a whole three months. Wow. What do you mean? But these are the people who have the ambition to do something big, right? So they're not the ones who just want to have a lifestyle business. I don't do that. And it's like, well, okay, well, you've got to test this out, right? Do you think Branson, with all of his businesses, or Elon Musk, you reckon he's there every single day in all of his businesses, like, you know, having, as you said, 30 meetings? Of course he's not. He's still relentless in what he's, or they are spending their time on, but they're not in that level of management. So as a leader, you need to understand where you can add the most value. And the way to do that initially is to break the cord. I love that. What a test to an experiment. So I, I think there was something that resonated with me. And I, I use the analogy of a professional sports team. You know, you've got the, the GM, the GM or the board are looking outwards. They're trying to figure out where can we sell more shirts? Where can we win more fans? You know, is it over here, Asia or US or whatever it is? They're trying to look outwards, improve sponsorship rights, TV rights, all that kind of stuff. Then you've got the head coach and all the different heads of functions. But let's say that talk about the head coach. Head coach has got to get the team right. And then you've got the players. And I think what I'm hearing is as a GM, you've got to understand the players and then be able to empathize with them and try and understand, well, why didn't we win the Champions League? You know, and what got in the way? And then have a conversation with the head coach and then go back kind of to being the general manager. What I took from that was that the challenge is knowing which hat you're wearing, because we still have people that are running a business of, say, 50 people who are still on the pitch trying to score goals and they can't let go of that. They still want to be in the game. Oh, yeah. They want to be the you know? striker when they when they've, you know, yeah. their days of being the striker and all that. I mean, the worst thing is is when they actually literally push people out the way. It's like they've come run down from their ivory tower, gone into onto the pitch, elbowed the, the center forward out the way, 
and tried to score the goal themselves because they've got to get involved with the process so much. But if you so unpack I think that's something that, about letting yeah. go of that, but at least understanding what it feels like to be on that pitch and to understand where the threats are and the, the opportunities. Is that a fair analogy? I define the two core competencies that a leader needs to have, if I was going to simplify it down to anything, is competency. Competency in the ability to do what needs to be done. So we, that's obviously quite broad. And empathy, right? So if you think about it, particularly the best leaders, even through this last 12 months, have demonstrated those two things. And to some extent, there's a degree of vulnerability there. Like, you know, I, I might say, I don't know exactly what I'm, how to do this yet, but I'm going to find a way to do it. That's still competency because it creates certainty. Yeah. Unpack what you said beforehand. Imagine if you are that person who pushes people out of the way to get the job done when you've delegated and trusted in that person or that team the authority to do it. I hear people say, I just need to get it over the line. That's what I'm here for, you know? Yeah. Well, sometimes you've got to have a bit of a, let's call it a failure or a a bit of feedback to prove the point. (laughs) You know, to win the championship, you might have to lose the game. We saw that last week in one of the, um, the teams here in the UK. There's lots of different things like that. But I think, you know, the, the leadership conversation is not an easy one, I don't think. And I think sometimes people try and simplify it too much because there's so much of who the person, the individual is, as I've said all the way through this, that needs to come out. And so back to that change that happens, you know, and I've seen this with people I've worked with, businesses I've acquired, I've, you know, I've invested in all that. You see that transition all the time. And, and I often say to leaders when they're at the point where they're going to sell their business for the sort of eight-figure mark or more, I say, let's just pause for a second. Do you remember what it was like when I first met you or we first, and this is not me just working with them, just in general. And they suddenly go, man, I've changed, haven't I? Yeah. And that is the point. And that's why you achieve the success. That's why you're at this position now where you're going to sell your business for a life-changing amount of money. Amazing. Okay. I'm conscious of time here, but we could go literally go on all day. And, and I, I, we're, you know, you're giving so much value. You know, I can see it on LinkedIn and Facebook and anybody that's picking this up on iTunes. There's so much value here. And I would love to hear your feedback on this. You know, I'd love to hear what, what's really stood out for you if you're picking this up. So I have one last question for you, Nick. And I think this is one that's probably on a few people's minds at the moment who are resetting. They are kind of creating a launch pad, got their, you know, I keep saying three, 10, five year plan, bootstrap or get some investment. Yeah. How do people decide around that one? You know, whether we can do this by ourselves, by just we, we win some business keep going or you know what we want to put some rocket fuel on this and go for it yeah okay let let me jump into that so this is a great question because i think a lot of i see that a lot of people just jump straight into the external investment realm so they're like i need to raise money i need to raise money i get i can't tell you how many times people ask me for money a day (laughs) like you know all the time so i'm 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 an expert at looking at pitch decks put it that way but but you've got to step back again and, and go well hold on what back to my point what are you trying to create here now there are certain businesses that you you do need to go and get external investment so if you're in a technology business where even before you generate decent amounts of revenue or even profits you've got to build the machine and that can just take more money than most people have got access to so in that situation you're kind of default already in that lane if you've got a services business or you've got something else external investment can accelerate the growth no question about it you have more resources but you're also about to add a different degree of complexity, governance, and external control onto your business. So no one really invests in a business because they want to get paid a dividend every month, right? They invest in a business because there's going to be a liquidity event. So all of a sudden, they give you money. Let's say you go and raise a few million quid or whatever it is. You know, what's on the mind of that investor, that shareholder? When are you selling? Why haven't you selling now? Why is that month's performance not good? So if you started to become an entrepreneur, for freedom, 
well, at least the, the perception of freedom, <laughs> certainly in the beginning. Yeah. Guess what? As soon as you bring external investment in, you've given up a percentage of that freedom. Yeah. And All you know right. what the sad thing with that is, and it goes back to your point earlier, is when you create a really purpose-led business where it's so important to the founder, they're making a difference in the world. It gets them out of bed every day. And they speak to an investor and the investor says, yeah, we'll give you some, we believe in it. Then what happens is exactly what you just said. All of a sudden, it's not about the purpose anymore. It's about the dividend. It's about yeah. the sale. It's about the profit. And that can be a really sad situation for the founder to be in when that's the conversation they're having versus the one, how they're going to change the world. And you can see them get beaten up with that. And, you know, there yeah. is a difference between going and getting an external grant. Let's say you're a social enterprise, you get a grant where, you know, that's a gift of the money versus someone who's giving you the money with the expectation of a return. I've been involved in what I call, I call it a business divorce, where the cap table, effectively, all the shareholders just end up fighting each other to the death half the time. And I work specifically with the entrepreneur, the leader, the leadership team. You can see the soul sucked out of these people. And this is the funny thing, right? Not funny, haha, but just like crazy, is that they're not thinking about the growth of the business then. Huge distraction. The business goes backwards. And one of the reasons a lot of businesses fail is because back to that external or, and that sort of intrinsic thinking, all of a sudden, you're not thinking about what matters, your customers, the market, all that sort of stuff. You're thinking about how can I make my shareholders happy, which is not always the right psychology to be thinking about. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Nick, so much for your time today. You've, you've shared so much. We've had some brilliant engagement as well. So I appreciate everybody that's tuned in and watched this on, on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. Love to hear your thoughts on this. If you've got any questions, you know, make sure you connect with Nick on LinkedIn. Is there anything else, anywhere else, Nick, or if someone's hearing what you're saying and they think, you know what, I need to get in touch with this guy. This guy could, you know, someone I'd like to perhaps explore options with you. Where should they go? Where's the best place to find uh, Yeah, you? I mean, I always say I give everything away for free on my podcast, right? So everything right. we talk about, like I use that as a cathartic way of me sharing just my thoughts, right? It's almost like my own journal that just goes out into the world. Yeah. So there's a lot of ranting and raving and stuff like that. Yeah, so Scale Up Your Business is my podcast, um, which has been going right. for a couple of years now. So you can find that on iTunes and Spotify. Clubhouse, you can find me in rooms there all the time. Not as oh, once a week, I've got a whole room that's dedicated to scaling up and growth and acquisitions. But then just reach out on LinkedIn. I've got a community on Facebook as well. You can find me pretty easily. Just Google Nick Bradley, scale up, scale up your business and you'll find me. Definitely subscribe to the podcast because I think that's probably the best place that will send them into all different directions, won't it? And if you're on Clubhouse, definitely jump in rooms with Nick. And for you Android users, your time is coming. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and for anybody out there that is thinking about scaling, but you're concerned that maybe you've been there before and it, it's affected your health, but you want to do it you know, by managing your health, your relationships, your mindset. We are launching our next Four Keys program, May 1st. So if that's something of interest to you, just let me know, DM me on LinkedIn, and we can jump on a call, speak to the team and see if it's the right fit for you. So Nick, thanks again so much for your time. And I look forward to speaking again soon. It's been an absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, likewise. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to the Scale Without Burnout podcast. For more free resources and content on how to grow and lead your business and become the best version of yourself, head over to andrewsilito.com. Mm-hmm.